This podcast is researched and presented by enthusiasts, not experts, for entertainment purposes only. None of the content you're about to hear is meant to be taken as legal, medical, financial, survival, or any other kind of advice. Please consult with professionals. This episode contains mature content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Please be advised. Welcome to In the Labyrinth of Death the podcast where we explore the choices people make in disasters and whether those choices keep them alive. I'm Finn. And I'm Marina. This week, we're talking about venomous spiders. And specifically the ones that can hurt humans. I think all spiders are venomous to some degree, right? Yep, that's generally how they kill their prey. Right, so we're talking about spiders today because it's leaf cleanup season and there's all kinds of creepy crawlies that come out of the leaf debris. When I was a kid, I actually had a neighbor allegedly get bitten by a brown recluse. She was raking the leaves and she took a break and she laid down on them and apparently she got bitten when she was laying down in the leaves. And I'm going to get into why I said allegedly later on. So are you sure that she was actually bitten though? Like maybe from a different spider? It's possible or she got some other kind of wound. We'll get into that more later. I have a pretty horrifying story to get us started. So it's November 2014 in Donald, Victoria, Australia. There have been some really bad floods in the area, and a 28-year-old woman named Jenna Allen was volunteering. It's actually her hometown. She's a mom. She's also a dance teacher. So she's there volunteering. She reaches into a cardboard box to grab a pair of sneakers, and what do you think happens? Uh, since it's spiders, she's probably bitten by one. Yeah, you're right. She gets fucking bitten by a redback spider, which is a close relative of a black widow that we're all familiar with here in America. So Jenna immediately starts feeling faint and woozy, and she actually starts vomiting almost immediately. She gets taken to the hospital, but that hospital doesn't have any antivenom, so she gets transferred to another hospital that actually does. She gets the antivenom, and she ultimately needs a skin graft. After a multi-month stay at the hospital, she gets released, and she's able to live with her wound for a year, and then it comes back. She gets a little red bump at the bite site. It looks like a little mosquito bite, and that mosquito bite little cyst thing burst, and it doesn't heal, and she has to continually keep it bandaged and change the dressings because it just won't close up. And she said it was so painful that she couldn't even hug her own children. And that at the beginning of getting the the wound changes, she used to, quote, pass out and have convulsions when the dressing was changed because it hurt so much, I had to be put under anesthetic. It's been years now, so that happened in 2014. And the wound is only continuing to expand, and she has to go in weekly, like, she has to drive hours to go to, like, a specialized place for this. They're hoping to do a second skin graft, but they may not be able to if the wound extends around her entire arm. She's also at risk for developing cancer in the wound area, and she's got some cells showing up as precancerous currently. That's a pretty brutal way to start this episode. Yeah, it's fucking awful. It's such a downer. And it's she's coping with it in her life, but it's not easy. It's really awful. And honestly, spiders suck, and I hate them. I, like, I don't care how useful they literally are. I just hate them. All right, let's get into the stats now. There are over 45,000 kinds of spiders, but only 25 species are considered medically significant meaning that they can cause illness in humans. So these poisonous spiders are spread mostly in warmer climates. Do you mean venomous? (laughs) Yes, I mean venomous. I keep saying poisonous and it's venomous. So these venomous spiders are spread mostly in warmer climates like South America, Australia, that kind of thing. So do you need to worry about these kinds of spiders if you live in a really cold climate somewhere like northern Russia or Canada? I don't know about the really cold places. The inhabited parts of Canada, I think, have black widows. Canadian folks can correct me on that if I'm wrong, but I think most places in the world obviously have spiders outside of Antarctica, but 
The 25 species are usually in warmer places, the venomous ones, but they can be up north. So speaking of up north, in North America, where we are right now, the two big bad spiders are the black widow and the brown recluse. The black widow as we know it is actually comprised of a few different individual species. There's the southern black widow, the northern black widow, and the western black widow. And to me, the uneducated person, honestly, they all look like the same spider. And these three species end up covering most of the United States. So if you're in the U.S. or, you know, Canada, that kind of area, chances are there's black widows around you. They should be pretty familiar to most people. The females are jet black and super shiny with the red hourglass on their abdomen. And they actually also have a little red dot by the spinneret, which is where the web comes out. The male black widows are actually gray or brown, and they're about half the size of females. Females being about like an inch and a half total. It's actually only the females that are dangerous to humans anyway. Black widows usually live close to the ground, somewhere dark and quiet. You can find them under furniture, you know, outdoors in wood piles, at the bottoms of closets, that kind of thing. Basically anywhere low to the ground where they can be undisturbed. Their nests are pretty characteristic as well. It's not like that flat Halloween style web or a funnel web. It's more of like a messy web, but the web strands themselves are super strong. So let's say you're cleaning your garage and you get bitten when you reach under the shelf to get something that rolled underneath, which is one of my like nightmares. You may feel a pinprick of pain or you may feel nothing. Within 15 to 60 minutes, the pain will move from being local to the bite to a more general muscle ache in your body. Apparently a bite in the upper body, so like your hand or your arm, will be felt more in the chest and a lower body bite, so like a foot or a leg bite, will be felt more in the abdomen. So either way, it'll be more focused somewhere in your torso. So from there, the symptoms get kind of crazy. I'm going to read this whole list from Mount Sinai. So you can have anxiety, which is understandable anyway, difficulty breathing, headache, high blood pressure, increased saliva, increased sweating, light sensitivity, muscle weakness, nausea and vomiting, numbness and tingling around the bite site, which then sometimes spreads out from the bite, restlessness, seizures, which apparently is usually seen just before death in children who were bitten, very painful muscle cramps or spasms, facial swelling in the hours after the bite, which they said is sometimes actually an allergic reaction to the medication that you've been given, and apparently pregnant women, if you're already pregnant, you may have contractions and go into labor due to the muscle spasms. That's crazy. It's insane. It's almost like a zombie movie. You know, we were watching like Dawn of the Dead and she has the zombie baby. It's like that. It's insane. So all of this is pretty awful, but there are antivenoms available. In healthy adults, the antivenoms may help with the pain, but some studies have shown that the antivenoms, when coupled with an actual painkiller, may not be doing much more than a placebo with a painkiller. So it's, it's questionable in people like us whether the antivenoms would be helpful. Generally healthy people may receive a medication called an antivenin, not an antivenom, that would go along with their supportive care at a hospital. Small children and other more vulnerable people may receive an actual antivenom since their risk of death is much higher. They're pretty conservative with the antivenom in general since there's a pretty high risk of an allergic reaction with it. But either way, whether you've had the antivenom or not, you're likely going to start feeling better within a few days, but you could still feel pretty crappy for a week or longer. It's pretty rare for somebody to die from a black widow bite, especially with proper treatment. That being said, you can die, especially if you're very young, very old, or you're pregnant. So Finn, I know you were looking into some of the venoms and how they work. So can you tell me about venoms in general and about, about? <laughs> about venoms in general and specifically how black widow venom works? So before I go into detail about how specifically a black widow's venom works, 
I'd like to call attention to the two broad categories of spider venom in general. Now, the first category is cytotoxins, and they're also known as necrotoxins or necrotizing toxins. And the way that the mechanism for cytotoxin works is essentially once you're bitten by a spider such as a brown recluse or something in that family, not a black widow, you will encounter tissue damage. So anybody who's familiar with being bitten or have known someone who has been bitten by a brown recluse, you will know that if it's left untreated, you're going to encounter massive rot, massive decay, tissue necrosis of the bitten area. And it's going to spread. It's not going to stay localized. So if you imagine that same dosage of a cytotoxin to something that's spider-sized, like something like a grasshopper, a beetle, something a spider eats, that same amount of tissue damage is going to basically immobilize and destroy, even liquefy the actual insect that the spider wants to eat. So you can imagine how effective it is for the spiders to hunt in that way. I specifically mean hunt because things like black widows, they don't hunt. They actually just spin webs. Things like brown recluses, they do hunt. So they have, in general, necrotizing or cytotoxins. That's interesting. Okay. So this is a really quick aside, but we were talking earlier about why, why do spiders have venom if the animals are already trapped in the webs? And I just occurred to me, maybe they're trying to stop them from moving so they don't fuck up their webs. To be honest, I think that is a pretty valid theory. I don't think there is enough behavioral research on spiders in order to make a definitive conclusion. But I do know that it reminds me of a really cool study that I read where it described the evolution of a specific species of Hawaiian spider. And in this species, they noted that originally this spider was the web-spinning kind, so it didn't go out and hunt. And eventually, as it evolved on a very isolated island chain like Hawaii, there grew a distinct group of spiders from this original species that went off and started hunting. So there's two distinct different ways to get food, basically. Wait for stuff to come to you in a web, or you go out and seek it. And this one species, as it branched off, they noted that there was an actual difference, measurable difference, in the kind of venom, compounds within that venom, and how effective that venom was. And surprisingly enough, the conclusion was that once this species became more mobile and started hunting for its food instead of waiting for its food to come to it, the venom actually became less potent, That's which was really counter to confusing. what I thought. Because if you think about it in a very logical sense, if you have to actively go and get food and the thing that you are hunting is also able to move away from you, you would want the venom that you're packing to be as powerful as possible. Whereas you can imagine that if food's coming to you and it gets entangled in your web and you're not in a rush to kind of get to it, your venom doesn't have to be as strong. So that kind of counterintuitive finding was really interesting to me. And you can't definitively say for sure that, oh, just because something hunts, it must have a stronger venom and vice versa. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, if you think about like tarantulas, wolf spiders, like all the wandering spiders you think about, they're not as dangerous as like the black widows and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's anecdotal. We're not spider experts. That's just interesting. And so just for my brain, so I know snakes, so this is not a snake episode, but I know snakes also have the coagulating venoms where it'll coagulate blood. Is yeah, a hemotoxin. Same? Hemotoxin. So that's separate from what we're talking about. Spiders don't do that. No. So based upon my research, I didn't encounter any real cases where spiders use some form of a hemotoxin to hunt. Now, what is interesting there is a lot of the same compounds and things that make a hemotoxin a hemotoxin are actually present in non-hemotoxic venoms. So we're talking about 
among scorpions, wasps, spiders, even snakes, all these venomous animals, the things that make the venom harmful are present in almost all of those different venom types. It's just that the specific makeup and volume of those compounds will affect the organism that is being injected with venom in different ways. For example, something like a hemotoxin, which snakes employ, will have a much larger balance of a certain kind of protein or a certain kind of amino acid compared to a neurotoxin or a cytotoxin, which has a different chemical cocktail component. And it's not to say that, oh, snake venom has the exact same stuff as spider venom. That's definitely not the case. It's more so that among snake venom and spider venom, there's going to be a shockingly high amount of similarities in the chemical compounds that make up those different venoms. I didn't know that those were also closely linked. That's crazy. And what was truly interesting for me was that in one specific individual spider, any specific spider, if you track the venomous makeup of that one spider as it matures over time, you will find that the venomous compounds that it produces change over time. So let's say a juvenile spider might have a certain proportion of enzymes and amino acids and proteins and peptides in its venom. As it gets used to its environment and as it grows and matures, that venom compound is going to change and be more adaptive over time. So if you were to give like a specific spider a name and track it over time, and you were to milk that venom regularly, you could see that it's going to change how it produces the venom, which is absolutely crazy to me. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, spiders are horrifying. I hate them. So you were talking about the cytotoxic ones. What about the ones with neurotoxins, like the black widows? Yeah, so getting back to your original question, which is how black widow venom works, we now know that for brown recluses, cytotoxins, also known as necrotoxins, affect you by rotting away your tissue, necrotizing your tissue, basically. For a neurotoxin, as you can probably guess from the name, it'll attack your neuromuscular system. So things like your heart muscles, things like your diaphragm, things that affect how you breathe. And it can also obviously affect your brain as well. Like it'll hit your nervous system. So I went really deep into this. And as someone who doesn't have this kind of a background, it was pretty fascinating to read about. And the gist of it is, most of the time, these neurotoxins, the ones that affect all of these brain and neuromuscular systems, they have a high amount of potassium ions and a low amount of sodium ions. So people who are like in first year medical school can attest to this as well. This messes with the balance of ions in the phospholipid layer. So all of your cells have a cell membrane and things enter and exit the cell, ions included. So the way that these neurotoxins affect you and other animals on the cellular level is that a huge influx of potassium ions is going to really fuck with your ability to regulate contractions, regulate your cells, especially muscle cells. So a lot of the neurotoxins that affect people will manifest in ways like irregular breathing, things like myocardia, how you can perceive the world around you. So that's why you'd see like the muscle spasms and the seizures and all that stuff. Yeah, the it can bite. lead to things like seizures, especially, and also a lot of myocardial arrhythmia. So things like irregular heartbeats and heart palpitations. That you makes might, sense. You might end up getting a heart attack if you're old and you're not able to handle this dosage of a venom. That's probably why it's more dangerous for like elderly folks and stuff like that. That's where like the decision to give them an anti-venom might swing in that direction, right? Because yeah. it's like a risk benefit. Yeah, I just have to say, I'm really fucking pissed off right now. If anybody's listening, there are like 
there's a war going on. We have propeller planes out at midnight. Yeah. There's like a train that's delivering like munitions. There's a boat. Like seriously, there's so much moving machinery outside at midnight. I have no fucking idea what's happening. Also, for the record, we're not near any body of water and these noises are super weird. There's also, we keep checking the dogs and our daughter are asleep and there's like weird thumps at our house and we have to keep pausing and restarting. So if we're getting a little bit giddy, that's why for real, there's like insane noises happening right now. Yeah, there's like a war zone outside. I don't know what it is. So that's talking about like venoms and all how all that stuff works. So let's talk now about the other main spider in North America, which is the brown recluses. So when you think of a brown recluse, what do you see in your head? I think of a big golden brown kind of spider and it may or may not have like a violin shape on it. Yeah, they're sometimes called fiddleback spiders because many of them, but not all of them, have a prominent violin on their back. And there's also other kinds of spiders that have the same kind of violin on their back. So that's not necessarily a brown recluse if you see that. They have long segmented legs. And they don't have any hair spines on their legs, which is apparently distinctive for them. And here's the really like interesting part about them. You know how most spiders, they have eight legs, they have eight eyes. Brown recluses only have six eyes. And there's only a few species of spiders like that. So if you see one that's got like the long segmented legs and a violin and six eyes, if you're that close to it, it's pretty sure it's a brown recluse. And are they fast or slow? I honestly don't know. I would imagine that they're pretty fast because they're hunting spiders, right? They'd have to be to catch something. So these brown recluses are limited to like the central south area of the U.S. So if you're thinking about the map of the U.S., it's not on the east coast, like where we are, but kind of like just to the side of it and kind of in the south central area. So like Georgia? Or or maybe even a little bit wester of that, like like above Texas nestled. I'll I'll put a picture up on our our social probably. It's kind of hard for me to talk about geography because I'm bad at it. Now, this is a weird thing. I am... You know me, I'm 100% not a conspiracy theorist at all. I think all that shit's bullshit. The only thing I am remotely a conspiracy theorist about is where brown recluses live. I am convinced that we have them in our state. I had that neighbor who was laying down in the leaves. I had a girl when I played field hockey in high school. She was the goalie. She had one in her like goalie pads, bitter on the leg. And that was confirmed by doctors. So I am not convinced that they're not here, even though like the pros will tell you that they're not. And while we're talking about brown recluses, particularly like on the East Coast where they're not supposed to be, a couple of years ago when our daughter was like one, we thought that we had a brown recluse infestation, or I did. So what happened was we had had our garden recently remulched. And so I, I think our daughter was asleep, the dogs were asleep, we were up watching a movie. I look over at the open window and like there's a porch light outside of it. So these like it's backlit silhouette and all over the window, there's like for real, like 20 huge spiders. It's like a fucking Halloween movie has been attached to our window screens. So I go up and look. They've got like these long segmented legs. We get a close look at one of them that kind of like goes around the other side. It looks like it has a fiddle back. It's got like these eye stalks. And I am completely convinced that it's a brown recluse. And there's for real like minimum 20 of them. So I'm freaking out. Finn's looking at it and he's like, I don't think that that's a brown recluse. I'm like texting my parents pictures and they're like, yeah, I think that's a brown recluse. And so... My instinct is to run and get tape and start like taping over the windows to prevent them from coming through the cracks. I'm getting hysterical. And Fen's like, why don't we just try to catch one and see what it is? So I shit you not, he walks over to the window that I was like mid tape and he opens it up and I'm like, the spiders could run in and I closed it. It was a whole thing. I think he realized that perhaps opening it with super fast spiders was not a good idea. So we didn't do that again. And we taped the windows closed. I think I taped like the side door closed too. And I was for real 
looking up where brown recluses live and can we sell the house and move somewhere else where they are not? And ultimately, of course, we didn't move. I took a picture of it and actually submitted it to some like bug expert people on the internet and they told me it was not a brown recluse. So I think that it was not. And I think it was probably just wolf spiders that either came in with the mulch or they got disturbed because they weren't there afterwards. But I was completely traumatized and ready to move for real to like Antarctica. Yeah, you got pretty crazy about that. Yeah, it wasn't crazy. If those were brown recluses, I couldn't live like that. There's too many, dude. Yeah, but then you can just catch them and eat them. <laughs> no, <laughs> I would never. I think I would literally, I, you know how I really, really don't want to die? I might rather die than eat a spider. That's so abhorrent to me. I don't know. Can you imagine how crunchy it would be? <laughs> so gross. No, I can't. I can't. And I've eaten, I've eaten bugs before. I've eaten those little like candied, like, like little centipede larva things. I've eaten those. You haven't. No. I did. I got the barbecue flavored ones. They were fine. The ones that tasted like barbecue. And then there was one that tasted like larva and not like barbecues and have enough powder. And that was it for me. Anyway, my brown recluse trauma aside and larva eating aside, brown recluses live in little crevices kind of hidden away from sight. That's why they're called recluses. They aren't aggressive, but like black widows, they will bite you if they're threatened. So if you roll over them in bed or you reach your hand directly like near them, they'll bite you. And once you've been bitten, you're going to see a wound start to appear. It might be slow. It might be faster. It could take as long as a few weeks or it might be faster than that, depending on the venom in your body. So I've always heard that their venom creates a huge necrotizing wound, but apparently that's actually pretty rare to actually happen. Up to 90% of brown recluse bites heal on their own, and only 3% of them are enough to require a skin graft. Most of the bites are going to heal on their own, so like that 90%, they look like a little red bump. The severe ones will have a pretty severe dermonecrotic lesion that's going to spread past the initial bite site if it's not properly cared for. And even if it is properly cared for, sometimes you're just fucked. And I did want to jump in there to say, this is not abnormal and that a lot of these bites don't typically turn out to be necrotizing. Yeah. Spiders are really apparently good at controlling how much venom they inject into whatever they bite because a lot of these spiders, they bite not just for predation, but they bite in defense as well. That's interesting. Yeah. So if you're bitten in a defensive situation, you may not actually receive a venomous payload. And even if you do, it might not be in the volume at which it'll cause something that will hurt you. That makes sense. So if they're just trying to get you to go away and not waste venom on you, they might not do a whole thing. Apparently, it is metabolically expensive to produce the proteins and the peptides that go into these venom payloads. Okay. So if they can control when they use the venom for predation or for self-defense, the more successful the spider's going to be. That makes sense. And a lot of times I've seen a lot of spiders, and I didn't know why until just now, but I've seen a lot of spiders will actually dry bite you where they bite you and they don't, it's called dry bite, where they bite you and there's no venom injected at all. Yep. That's actually very common. I would probably still die if I saw like a black widow or a brown recluse bite me, but yeah, it wouldn't be the venom killing me. It'd be just me. And in those cases, and this is going to be repeated later on, in those cases where you do receive a dry bite or even a wet bite, try to, if you have the presence of mind and the materials or even the wherewithal, catch the spider. Because if you can oh, make yeah. a positive ID, they can get you the right anti-venom, get you the right sort of medical care, and it'll be that much more effective. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to get into this story, but there was a man, I think in like in Britain, it may have been London somewhere else, he got bitten by a spider that came in on a bunch of bananas. It was just shipping, basically. And it was really bad. He almost died. It spread and spread and spread. They thought they might have to, like, amputate his arm. It was, it was really, really bad. And it took so long to 
get him the antivenom and figure it out because they didn't know what bit him because it came in just like on produce. It's crazy. And I think they thought it was a banana spider for that guy. And they think it was actually a brown recluse. It was like some weird thing where like, because he didn't, he wasn't able to catch the spider. Mm -hmm. They had no idea. So if you are one of the unlucky, like 10% of people that's going to get like a bad reaction to the bite, the flesh around the bite's going to actually turn black. It's going to dry out. And eventually that flesh is going to slough off entirely. And it's actually going to stink sometimes too. I've seen like snake bites where it becomes so necrotic and it becomes so diseased and rotten that you will literally smell it like it's like death. No, oh, I can't imagine. That's If that was on my own body, I would just want it like excised entirely. So apparently brown recluse bites are misdiagnosed all over, especially all over the U.S., So doctors report brown recluse bites in states where brown recluses aren't present at all. And that goes back to my like, are they really not here? Are we just not seeing them? But you can't prove a negative. There's always a small chance that one could be imported from another state via hitchhiking, like on somebody's delivery, like you get Amazon box and it comes in that way. But the chance of that actually happening where like they come in, they establish a community and then they're like endemic is pretty small just based on the way the brown recluses themselves live. It's way more likely that most of them are just straight up misdiagnoses of Misdiagnoses? Is that the way you say that? (laughs) Misdiagnoses? I was wondering why Spellcheck didn't like that. So it's way more likely that most of them are just straight up misdiagnoses of other skin lesions. And some people say it may even be Lyme disease because you get like that target. Now, I didn't know this before, but it's important. In rare cases, small children can have systemic issues, including hemolytic anemia, which is where red blood cells are destroyed faster than they're created, or acute kidney injury. And these kids can die in as little as 12 hours. So if this is happening, like if a kid's been bitten by a brown recluse, they need immediate medical attention. Same for like if they've been bitten by a black widow. All that being said, while spider bites are very serious, apparently on average, fewer than six people die from spider bites every year. So your chances of dying are pretty low. Okay, so now with all that being said, why don't we move into what you should do before, during, and after a spider bite? Sounds good. So as for preventing spider bites in the first place, the number one thing you should try to do is avoid having a messy situation happening. So things like messy clothes strewn about, having a lot of unorganized clutter in your house, those are spider havens because, again, they like to be out of sight. If you have laundry that you need to take care of, make sure that you shake your clothes out, shake your towels, your sheets, your bath mat, and just make sure that there's nothing in there before you handle it with your hands. Yeah, I've seen, um, you guys probably have too, the videos of folks in Australia, like they go outside and they shake their shoes out. I don't live in Australia, but I do the same thing every single fucking time. I also recall, and I state this as a a fact all the time to people, and I don't actually know if this is a real fact or if I made it up years ago, but I remember seeing somewhere a long, long time ago that 40% of spider bites occur in sheets, towels, and clothes. So, you know, better safe than sorry. I literally shake everything out and I like look at it too, just in case there's like a hanger on spider. And I've actually like checked in the sheets in my bed a couple times and I found spiders twice. One was on my birthday. So it was actually worth checking because like I lifted the sheet back and there's a fucking spider sitting there. It's like my worst nightmare. But for what it's worth, the spider is again, not a harmful one, like a black widow or a brown recluse. It's psychologically harmful. Sure. But it's not going to hurt you. It probably can't even pierce your skin. Yeah, I guess. I mean, yes, technically. That doesn't mean I want it there. And if you're like out like camping or something, or you have like a wood pile in the back, don't blindly grab logs or reach under anything without looking first, especially like wood piles, like black widows and brown recluses love that shit. If you're bitten by something as dangerous as a black widow, you should absolutely call poison control for your instructions and for ways to handle it as soon as possible. Yeah, I actually found that interesting in the research that 
it would not have occurred to me to call poison control for a spider bite because I didn't eat the spider. And normally I think of poison control as like something that's been eaten, but it was all over the place that you should call poison control for like more details. So call poison control and make sure you're cleaning the bite with soap and water, basically get it cleaned. So if you've been bitten on the hand, especially make sure you take your rings off because that hand might be about to swell up and the rings on your hand are going to act like tourniquets that you won't be able to get off. Yeah. And like I said earlier, if you can, if you're not fucking freaked out, try to catch the spider if you can find out where it is. If I got bitten, I would be screaming and you'd have to catch the spider. Yeah. So also on your way to the hospital, make sure you're trying to like, if you can and have time, ice the area to reduce swelling. Try to keep the bite elevated as much as possible. That'll help with the swelling as well. And if you're not me, because it's not possible for me, but if you're like a regular human, try to remain calm. Don't exert yourself too much. If you like send increased blood flow to that area, you're going to spread the venom more quickly. Yeah. Increasing your heart rate's the enemy here. Time and excitement are the enemy. Yeah. So like us in the suburbs, we could get to the hospital in like five minutes by car. So that's like not urgent. But if you're like camping out somewhere and you've got to like hike out and then get to a hospital, definitely try to like slow and study it. Maybe like see if you need to call in like the cavalry. Okay, so another interesting factoid, if you've been bitten by a spider, you might actually need a tetanus shot. So I usually think about tetanus shots as being like, I stepped on a rusty nail, or maybe I got like bitten by an animal. Spider bites also, you might need a tetanus shot. Also, one last thing I wanted to bring up, spiders can hang out in produce like grapes or like the bananas that I mentioned earlier. I remember hearing about a black widow being in grapes years ago. And just a few months ago, there was, this was a real article. They found a redback spider, like the one that bit Jenna, the first story we talked about. And that was found in a bag of grapes. So before you reach into a bag of produce, look because there could be some kind of spider in there, particularly like a black widow or like a redback type spider. I think that's all we have. Finn, do you have anything else? Yeah, I just want to say we're not advocating a crusade against any and all spiders. We're just I saying... I am. I am. I am advocating that crusade. I am the Pope sending people forth to murder all spiders. I hate them. Anyways, we're just saying that <laughs> Of the several hundreds of thousands of spiders there are, only about 25 of them are even remotely dangerous to us. And you're so, so, so unlikely to even see them in the first place. I will worry about them. But yes, that is good advice. So don't forget that we have a website. It's inthelabyrinthofdeath.com. You can also reach us on Instagram at inthelabyrinthofdeath. So follow us, leave us a review if you get a chance. Tune in next week for a new episode of In the Labyrinth of Death. In the meantime, send us your near misses with death to inthelabyrinthofdeath at gmail.com. See y'all next week.